You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Good morning, welcome. Assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kayum. Brother Khalid, I haven't seen you for a long time, brother. Peace be on you. Peace be upon you too, yes. So lovely to see you. It's going to be a great show, inshallah, today. I, you know, God willing, it's going to be, it's been a long time. Hasn't it has it? been a long time. Oh my gosh. So many things have happened. In we are getting old. <laughs> well, so, okay, let, let me rephrase that. You're, you're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing with us today, we've got young brother Nafis with us. Uh, morning and uh, peace be on you, brother. Peace be on you. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. Nafis is, um, is, is our new brother. He's yes. our new recruit. He's going to, you're going to be hearing a lot from Nafis over the coming weeks and uh, and months and hopefully he will be Become furniture like we have. Yes. <laughs> nice, nice uh, fresh talent. Nice fresh talent. Yeah. Yes, uh, and and yes, Nafis is also, as always, with within the Amdi Muslim community, our young, uh, our young brothers who join us are by the grace of God Almighty, are uh, young imams, and everything we talk about, uh, as we always say, everything, all aspects of our life, um, has Islam in it. Islam is the most beautiful and universal way of life, and I'm sure, brother Nafis and morning to you peace be on you brother Shazeb he where they will be um pitching in where with their perspectives on on everything we do but as always um we can't st- we cannot start the show without talking about the weather we are in Britain oh yes the British you know, weather of course we are, okay ah yes <laughs> yeah. you know, Mr. 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 Buno yes may I ask what is the weather saying today oh, gosh. <laughs> well it was frightfully frosty this morning it you is. see a scraping ice off my car for a little while, um, but let's look at the weather forecast from the Met Office website. So today there will be, funnily enough, it doesn't look like it, but there will be some heavy showers later on. It'll be quite wintry inland, and there'll be um, much of it will happen across Scotland. So we should be okay down here in London. But elsewhere there'll be wintry showers. <coughs> excuse me, confined mainly to the coasts and with a lot of fine cold weather elsewhere. There will be brisk winds in the north and the east, and that will be quite, quite cold. Um, Tonight, there will be some showers. It will be quite wintry at times, and the weather will become confined to the northern and eastern um, areas. I'm doing all the hand gestures. I was was about to say, what's with the hand gestures? (laughs) I think think that's a profession I missed. It's it's like uh, you're presenting a kids' program, and you're trying to engage the kids with the hand movements. (laughs) But it's nice to see we have a full studio, four of us here today. But just um, let's look at Friday for tomorrow. Uh, Again, it's going to be much of the same. There'll be lots of wintry showers up in, in Scotland. Uh, and then those those uh, will become fine to the northeast and around the coastal areas. So, as ever, our lovely listeners in Scotland, if they're listening, it's going to be cold up there, and we're just going to get some wintry showers down here. You see, you sound like such a Londoner. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, London it's in the north. That's it. It's like it's like I always say. You know, when people say to me, you know, you're going to come up north. I said, listen, I need a visa to go past M25. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need to apply for a visa it's, to go past the world. But. You know, as much as we joke about it, uh, our brothers in anywhere in the north, especially in Scotland, they do always um, <clears throat> suffer the coldest of the weathers yes. in 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 United Kingdom. And you know, driving here this morning, I see the road, and again, as much as we joke about mm. it, of the age, I've seen the difference. Yeah, London has never really experienced the bitter cold that we're experiencing to this year. Yes, and last year, before then, it was always mild. 
everything on the outside of the M25 was kind of the the, the you know the bearer yes. of the heavy 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 cold and the snow. Yes. And as much as we think we're lucky in that, the, the unfortunate thing that I've seen is people don't know mm. how to drive in this weather. Mm. Yes. They, they forget it's icy. <laughs> yes. And they and Brother Shazib, I'm sure you travel in. Mm. You experience that, that oh, yes. where people are people don't slow down. Yes, no, it's um, very frightening at times because what you find is people slow down a bit too much, especially in the motorways, and then that can cause delays and queues and apprehension um, from drivers from behind. And, and unfortunately, there can be various um, accidents. Um, so was the case yesterday on mm. the M25, mm. um, which is notorious for accidents. But nonetheless, you know, it's, it is very hazardous, to say the least. It is, most definitely. So, you know, the point is, if you like all those... I'm sure all the uh, the police and the, the the relevant road organizations say, look, if you don't have to drive, we live in a day, we live in an age where working from home is become part and parcel of our daily lives. Exactly, mm-hmm. work from home, and if you if you're a and again, I I ask forgiveness from the elderly drivers and the young drivers. I don't mean to pick on you, but it is sometimes inexperience. Mm. But people of my age as well, there's a lot of people who've never driven in these kind of uh, conditions. And it's not, and, I, and I'll go back to what I always say: when you're driving in heavy traffic, look out for the cyclist and the pedestrian. Of course. Because if you think the car will slide, remember a pedestrian can slide, and a cyclist can slide, and a motorcyclist can slide. They are not protected by any kind of cage. You are within a vehicle. Yes. So do keep an eye out. And again, that's the teachings of Islam in 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 for for us is to make sure that we look out for the others. Mm. It is it is uh, courtesy. Exactly. Which is actually part and parcel of the teachings. I remember when we, when I was taught, yes. we were told, look out for the other. Yes. Be courteous yes. and look out for the other. 100%. Um, so please do uh, make sure that uh, you look out for the other. And also, uh, Brother Khalid talked about rain. Mm. The cold is so much that when it rains, it will turn into ice. ice. Yes. Cars will skid. It's not that your brakes are failing. <laughs> your car is skidding. Exactly. Remember that. And when you do go out, it is a chill. Make sure you have gloves on. Make sure you have your, you know, the relevant headgear. If your parents are going out, make sure that they are wearing the right clothes uh, to protect themselves. And if you're taking children out, also ensure that, uh, you know, um, that, that they're wearing clothes. Because any kind of chill, it takes a blink of an eye to catch a chill. And we already know the, that hospitals, um, the, the last place we want to end up That's um, right. in these day and age. Is, is is hospitals well that's the thing you know you're mentioning hospitals at the moment there's there are strikes going on yes nurses paramedics etc so that sort of thing so we have to be doubly sort of cautious doubly cautious you know that we don't uh bombard our or you know or inundate our hospitals during this time especially when, when there are strikes <laughs> and you know you were mentioning there Kuyum, about how you know, as a Muslim, we look out for each other. You yes. know, as a human being, we look out for humanity. So you know, you were talking about the the, the this this weather, this cold weather as well. The other day, I was driving on the motorway and I saw the there was a cyclist. He was just cycling up a a, a footpath, and he fell. And and you know, this is again, being a Muslim is 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 in our it's in our being, right? So in Islam, it teaches you that if you even see uh, a stone or a rock or something you remove it from the footpath you know and this is how beautiful it is. Islam is such an all-encompassing religion I, 
every aspect of our life, of our daily life, is 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 ingrained with us. So, if we had been past, walking past them, we would have removed something. So, going back to what you were saying about uh, Kuyum about the weather, it wasn't even cold. It wasn't even rainy at that time. It was dry weather. The cyclist, poor cyclist, was like he fell down because there was a obstruction on the floor which he didn't see. So we have to be doubly cautious. Um, before we move on to our first. Um uh, segment. It's not even a segment. What we talk about is what's happening in the news um, in and around the world and the country and what the papers are discussing. Today we're going to be discussing uh, important topics. We're going to be talking, we're going to be going through empowerment uh, in, you know, in people who have been empowered through disability. We're going to be talking about that from 7.30. Um, and then we're going to be talking about, as I flick through my papers, Brother Khalid. Yes. What am I going to be talking about in the second segment? So the, the first segment, like you said, is empowerment through uh, empowered through disability. Some excellent guests uh, lined up for that. And then our second segment is what is terrorism legislation? And again, we shall be talking to a guest with regards to that. Awesome. So let's see what the papers are saying. Any any new story, brother Nafis? If I may come to you, what uh, sprung to your attention? Uh, um, anything that you would like to talk about? Yeah, so I've been um, following the uh, royal news and uh, what's been going on with Prince Harry and Meghan and everything, oh, yes. <laughs> and it's been uh, quite interesting actually. And uh, I was just I was just thinking, each and every family or society or group of people, you can have uh, some sort of frictions or yes. um, misunderstandings or arguments or whatever. Yeah, it's natural. It, it's natural, mm. but. The best thing to do is not to put your dirty laundry out. Yes, that's the worst thing. That's the worst thing yes. you can do. Yes. And uh, sadly, uh, that, that, you can see that that's what's been happening. And uh, f even from an Islamic perspective, mm. what Islam teaches us is that you are each other's garments. So we, we, garments, they're meant to protect you. They're meant to cover you. They know your shortcomings and so, and so on and so forth. Yes. J just for the benefit of the listeners, mm. expand on the garments. Yep. So the, the whole the, the verse of the Holy Quran is that um, you are garments for your wives, for your spouses, and they are garments for yourself. So if you, for example, in our um, daily life, if you look at uh, you're, we you're wearing clothes, they protect you from the cold. Mm. At the same time, they protect you from the heat. Yes. They cover your um, shortcomings. Whatever is on your skin is protected. Similarly, um, whether it's uh, family issues or disagreements between husband and wife, mm. they're not meant to be made public. They're meant so to be. So what what happens at home stays at home. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know it's interesting you mentioned about what you mentioned about garments as well. You know, it's it's all about modesty. When, That's right. It's not when, you, when we dress as Muslims, mm -hmm. we dress modestly. And our character needs to be modest as That's well. That's correct, exactly. So that's why, like you quite rightly said, you know, you don't wash, what's the expression? You don't wash your dirty laundry, laundry. In, yeah, public. in public. Yeah. So that's the thing. I really like Harry and Meghan. Do you? But I think I do. I've been criticised for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the thing is, listen, the thing listen, is, don't, the thing don't is, tell I anybody think, that I think, outside of this room, all right? I, I won't tell anyone. <laughs> But I do believe that in this instance, uh, um, young Prince Harry has been wrongly guided. And I think he's been um, <coughs> not guided correctly in, ter in terms of what should have been put in the book. Because, of course, whatever happens in the media stays in the media, stays in social media. Forever. Yeah. And he says, he was saying that there's there's been a, a spin of what he said. Things have been taken out of context. But the thing is, look. You put it out there, it's going to be open to criticism, isn't it? And like you said, uh, Nafis, it's it's something that shouldn't be aired. And especially when you talk about things like 
the number of people that he killed as a soldier. You know, that's I think it's a tragedy, yeah. and I think I'm. Um, you know, mm. it's. Uh, you know, you cannot start off a conversation saying I want privacy, mm. and mm. then yes, you let it out. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's all I'll say. Um, uh, to me, I think it is a tragedy. Yeah. End of the day, take away all the accolades and the and the status and and whatnot. It's a family, um, and uh, you know, tragedy within any family is um, is sad to see, um, um, to be you know aired in public like this. Yes. But I will take my hat off to our f- our future king. Silence. Um, one thing when I remember when Her Royal Highness uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away. Mm. That's one thing you have to. You c- you cannot, whether you're a royalist or not royalist, you have to take your hat off to her ears. Seventy years, she was silent. Mm, that's their motto: yes. don't complain, don't explain. Yes, and it's as simple as that. And it's being stoic and remembering that if you do say anything, then they will have repercussions. Yes, um, and that's the brilliance of the royal monarchy. And that's proven. That's proven. <laughs> that's tested proven. and proven. Dignified till the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, we can't stay silent for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> talk to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but you know, mm. if somebody was to talk to you about a certain aspect of something, or mm. even ask your political opinion, mm. one thing you know, the Queen never gave yes. her mm. opinion. She stayed silent, true, true to her role. The yes. greatest diplomats. Yes, she was without to a us. doubt, yeah. without a doubt. You know, she she was, brother Khalid. What's your 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 Gosh. what's your story so of the my, morning? So my my news is a bit sad. Um, one of my favorite, I I I'm not keen on politicians, but I do respect them. But one of my favorite persons for all time, I think, I would say, woman of the year for me, <laughs> Jacinda Ardern, especially after the, after the the way she handled the terrorist attacks mm-hmm. um, after those two um, you know, the sh- mass shootings in those mosques, right? Brother Claude, are you sure it's not Greta Thunberg? He's recently been carried away by the German police. <laughs> I saw that as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, just in the thought, uh, you know, just in the order for me is, is, you know, it's sad. The news is that she's going to be stepping down. So next month she's going to leave office. Uh, she was only forty-two years of age, but her story is that she says that she hasn't, she hasn't got enough, or she has got more to give. And I don't buy that. that. Pardon me. I don't buy that. Well, she said there's. She did say there's no scandal around why I'm leaving. I'm not, it doesn't have yeah. to be a scandal. Yeah. But I, I find it strange that a person who has kind of fought their way up to such a, a place where yes. you have gained international respect. Mm. She's not old. She's young. Mm. And, and to say that I don't have more to give, I, I find that strange. What do you guys think? I mean, I think she recently had a kid. Uh-huh. Um, and having a kid, you know, responsibilities, responsibilities time. She perhaps wants to, you know check her priorities before not having the kids she probably thought her career and mm. I guess when you know women do become mothers perhaps their priorities I say perhaps I think definitely their, their priorities change but you know then you've got to balance out being the leader of a country that's right um, then what you do yeah so that's a, I guess she made a difficult decision and perhaps not a one that she wanted to but there you are yeah well as, as you say brother Khalid I mean you know she did make a difference mm. um, she in fact, she kind of uh, showed a lot of the world leaders how it's supposed to be done. Hundred <laughs> percent, yes, yes you know. exactly. Especially during the pandemic as well, you'll see that she, the way she handled the pandemic, she was praised globally for the way they <coughs> they dealt with it so efficiently. Mm-hmm. They they didn't have they didn't have any cases for ages, 
And then at the end, of course, you know, COVID um, started coming to that country. But you know, you talk about uh, Shazeb, you were talking about um, how she became mother. She's uh, the only second elected world leader to ever give birth while in office after Pakistan's Benazir Bhutto, you know, and which oh. happened in 1990 for Benazir Bhutto. But this uh, Jacinda Ardern, <clears throat> she became the youngest female head of government <coughs> when she was 37 years old. <coughs> uh, I'll, I'll give credit to her. We're going to miss her. Let's see what happens, you know, who comes back. Without a doubt, all our prayers um, are with uh, the former, or soon to be the former Prime Minister, is she? Of mm, New yes. Zealand, no? Yes. Um, we wish her success well and our prayers for all her future endeavours. Yes. May God give her success and peace and, 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 and that peace of mind of whatever she's looking for and good luck in her, in, in her parenting mm. uh, skills. Brother Shazeb, mm. what's your story of the morning? Well, levelling up, which I'm sure is the phrase that we've heard from this current government. Yeah. Um, and with regard to this, they've the government has come up with 100 projects which will share... 2.1 billion pounds so the prime minister said the money would create jobs and spread opportunity and the new eden project in Morecam, um train services in cornwall and a number of town services which centers are among the projects set to get the funding but labor said it was a partial refund on what the tories have stripped out of our communities it's also said london and the southeast were getting the most funding though these are the two regions with the largest populations. So the idea of levelling up or reducing regional inequality was a key part of Boris Johnson's 2019 election campaign. It aims what's to close the gap between rich and poor parts of this country by improving services such as education, broadband and transport. A total of 111 areas across the UK have been awarded money from the second round of the government's levelling up fund. The Eden project in Morecambe, Lancashire, will get £50 million to help regenerate a derelict site on the seafront into an eco-tourism attraction. And there will be also a £50 million grant to build a new direct train service linking Cornwall's largest urban areas. So, I guess um, this investment was heavily uh, waited for and... With regards to that investment, there's various others. Uh, there's 40 million for a carbon neutral education campus in Blackpool Town Centre, 20 million to go towards a regeneration of Gateshead Quays, including a new area exhibition centre and hotels, um, and various. Hen Hackney, 90 million pounds to improve public spaces. So, various investments in Dover, 45 million. So, I guess to bring the country back where it should be. Um, and you know a lot of these projects are regeneration so dilapidated and uh, perhaps pre-60s when there was sort of that industrial area more of the time to bring those repurpose those buildings and um, bring some of that collectiveness and that money back I, I i think what you've said all fantastic from a planning perspective i think that the, the I, I always find it i find it sad that politicians and and news covers mm. such Good plans, yes. At a time where they will be, these things are being used to detract from the real issues of today, and then the emphasis kind of um, it, it, it's 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 not deemed as important as it should do. But 
one, what we're doing and what politicians are forgetting is what they do today mm. will impact tomorrow. No point talking about tomorrow's plans if they might not even come to fruition because it's, of... Well, that's what happens usually, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because they're not tackling the main issues of today. I mean, we are in... You know, the fear is next month there will be a general strike. And the general strike hasn't been seen for decades. And general well, strike is when your nurses, your doctors, your ambulance men, your firemen, your uh, public sector workers, your teachers, your railway workers, they will all go on strike. And February is looking yes. that way. Gosh. And they were trying to run through um, Parliament this bill to prevent these strikes happening. I don't know if yeah. it went through or not. It, 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 it won't impact. It won't impact. No, because no. because by the time they get it through, because remember, it's got to go to the House of mm, Lords. Mm. Lords will bounce it back saying, look, yeah. no. And that takes weeks. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it is something that uh, will affect and does affect. Like yesterday, I, I remember I was listening to the radio and yes. Guy openly said, look, don't fall ill today. Mm. Yes. Don't fall ill because no one's going to come and get you. Yes. Or make sure if you are not feeling well, you are amongst people mm. who can transport you. Wow. That, and you know, if I say that, you'd think, which country are you talking about? That's mm. the crazy thing, isn't it? You wouldn't think in 2023, I mean, look at those numbers, 2023, you would have thought we'll be having flying cars, we'll be having hoverboards, mm. we would have made progress, yeah. there'll be world peace, but... But things, I, things seem to be going backwards. You're you're completely correct. But the the issue is what for well for the NHS, they want nineteen percent of pay rise, right? As a starting point, As I think to them point. it's a negotiation tool, All right? And the government's offering two percent plus one percent as a contingency, so three percent. Yeah. But they've got to meet somewhere, right? But the government's got to be real. I mean, I think yeah. you know, like in Scotland. I think they've been offered six or seven, yeah. and they are more or less about to make a deal. Right. Thing, the problem isn't, I, I agree with you, the problem from the government's perspective is they haven't come to the table with anything. Mm. That's it. Come to the table, don't come to the table and say, we will talk about everything mm. but the pay. Yeah. That's what they're saying. So they, they're kind of announcing mm. that we're coming to the table, but we ain't going to talk about the money, the, the elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the right. problem. And the fact that, look, statistics, 40% of public sector workers are on universal credit. Wow. 40%. It's a huge percentage. Exactly. Mm. If, 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 I, if our... Um, machinery who runs the system mm. is having to rely on, on the, the machine they're running mm. something's wrong <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and and that's where the, the 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 crux of it is you know people need to be able to feed the children yes and it is i have i know mm. a few nurses mm. uh, a few doctors young doctors mm. who are they're so tired yes mm. they're so tired yes and the morale, the mental health of these, uh, some of these young people is scary that these people are going to be treating someone. Yes, mm -hmm. definitely. This is exactly, it's, 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 a, it's a recipe for disaster. I find it so shameful and embarrassing and hopeful to hear that nurses are killing themselves, working yes. 12 hours. Suicide rate is up. And then going to food banks just to support the family. That's a disgrace. It's, it's, it's because not, it's relentless, isn't it? Yeah. The job itself is relentless. There isn't going to be a time or a period where, you know, you get some slack off no. because you're always going to have A&E running up and down and you know these services that require staff and members 
So I guess our hopes and prayers are tied That's with, it. you know, a fruitful outcome uh, and uh, an outcome which will serve everyone's purposes and intentions. Let's quickly run through what the papers are saying. Um, what's this? Daily Express. Charles, our king, has donated £250 million to the nation. King Charles has given up a huge windfall from an offshore wind farm deal, which he wants to be used for the wider public good. Uh, the Guardian has talked about exactly what Brother Shazir was talking about, uh, nurses and uh, the strikes, nurses and ambulance staff to stage unprecedented joint strike. And, of course, if they're joining other... Um, the, the, the fear is uh, other professions will join in. But I've got to push the argument here. Will these strikes result in anything, anything positive? Um, and this is a way that they can hold the government sort of um, to account when, in the sense that whenever they don't agree with something, well, that's fine, we'll go and strike and get our... No, you know, the, the, this time is different. Because if you look at previous strikes, firstly, nurses have never in that's history... Right, never strike, this no. is the first time ever in history... Since NHS has begun, nurses are going on strike. Mm -hmm. So that has an impact. Normally, if one looks at previous strikes for rail workers and public isn't mm -hmm. on it, this time public is because now public are actually feeling what most what they're saying. What they're saying mm -hmm. because they are also feeling the pinch. Mm -hmm. And we've got to remember, all of these people are part of the public yes. as well, yes. family members. Yeah. So it's. It, this time around, the reason um, I think it's different, I agree with you. You can't hold the government to ransom every time you do this. But I think this time it is different. And the government's in a corner. Yeah. You know. Uh, they've uh, got to clear up Liz Truss's mess. Exactly. You know, they, they, they've, they've got a plethora of mess mm. still mm. That's, that's kind of chasing them. Yeah. So uh, to them, and the fact that, you know, with, with the, the comments of the home, the, the, uh, our Home Office Minister, um, with to, to the Holocaust victim, mm. you know, is those kind of things. I mean, if one looks at PMQ yesterday, mm. um, uh, uh, you know, our prime minister was kind of stuck. He had to go back to his rhetoric about how Labour is, uh, is you know, master. The Labour's masters are the unions. You know, the mm. same old cliches, yeah. which people won't fall for anymore. No, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, um, they, they're stuck. They're stuck. And, and, uh, um, and Rishi Sunak is, and I feel sorry for the man, mm. uh, yeah. because... He's had to make deals with ministers to get this position where he is. Yeah, you know, it's compromises. Yeah, He's yeah, made a lot of compromises yeah. to be uh, where he is. And, well, and I guess what, on, the, on the plus side, inflation's dropped. I think it's ten. And it a is. Half That's a now. good thing. You know, I think we finished with that one. Yeah. Um, that inflation is um, on its way down, mm. um, and and as much as it will make a small impact, the fact is there is that light at mm. the end of the tunnel, and one hopes and prays that. Uh, uh, th this drop in inflation continues mm. uh, and makes people's lives a little bit more easier. Just a date for your diary, like mm. you were saying. If you, there's a day you don't want to fall sick, you'll be predicted Monday the, 20th, uh, the 6th of February is the day that they want to hold the industrial action. Well, again, mm. we finish off with saying we hope and pray that this strike doesn't happen and yes. everybody does manage to get around the table mm. because no matter, you know, uh, historically, if one looks at wars, yes, Everything always gets negotiated, yes. always gets done yes. when people decide to talk to each other. And this is a similar one, urges the government uh, to, to, to listen to the plight of the people who are striking. Um, they are not striking because uh, they, they want to. Um, uh, you know, uh, this is uh, it's become a necessity. Mm. Uh, and please, one, 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 uh, one urges both sides uh, to come to some kind of middle ground so the, the country doesn't come. 
to a standstill. We are. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, Brother Shazir, Brother Khalid, and Brother Nafis. We're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go on to our first segment of the morning, um, which is empowerment through disability. So grab yourself uh, uh, a cup of coffee or what is it? What's, what do you like for breakfast, Brother Khalid? Tea. Yeah, right. All day. Tea. <laughs> Nafis? I'll stick to tea, yeah. Your tea. Yeah. Brother Shazir. What's your breakfast, man? Um, I had a luxury hot chocolate yesterday. Oof. So we'll go for one man, of those. You guys are so boring, man. <laughs> I listen, I'll tell you what you do. Go and grab it. Put your toast in. Yes. Yeah, go and get some uh, avocado. Oof. Go Oof. and, go and uh, you know, put some... Five get star. a Get a poached egg. Yes. Yeah. Put oh. some chili flakes. Oh, nice. Yeah, and, and enjoy that while we go and get a machine from a coffee. <laughs> 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 we get a coffee from machine as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, do stay tuned and join us after this very short break. to the Voice of Islam Radio. What is peace? Is it the simplicities in life or something exquisite? To some it is vague, to some explicit. To wake in a world wishing peace would just visit. A deafening society wishing someone would just listen. Is it higher power that will bring this world new navigation? Or is it acts of kindness that will refresh our imagination? I see powerless minds in search for reconciliation, who vote for justified masterminds who need no persuasion. Freedom of speech may be a thing of the past. Society pressures have us thinking, Why we even ask? We've been silenced because of the colour of our skin. We've begun to believe that believing in God is a sin. What is peace? We ask today. A way of life. A feeling. Long way away. Who have we wronged to deserve this rubble? Who did we question? Who gave us this trouble? We have no shelter. We have no peace. With the one thing we had, it brought us to streets. Caught in selfish acts, Money, power, and greed. Who needs food when we no longer have children to feed? Where is the justice? Where is our say? Peace is what we ask for. Yet, there is more blood to pay. A new term in power. A video game for the fearless kind. A new six-figure salary. Who has a new house in mind? We are asked today, what is that you preach? Please look in our eyes. 
No need to question beliefs. You fear one religious mind could change the world. Fearless in thinking one bomb. And problem solved? Please, justify the injustice. Stand up from your seat. We are not asking for much. We just ask justice for peace. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayu, and Brother Shazir, Brother Nafis, and Brother Khalid. Full house this morning, Excellent. gentlemen. Um, let's go on to our first topic of the morning. It is uh, something, um, I think we've discussed this uh, um, a number of times over the past, but it is something uh, that is uh, needs to be discussed, discussed more often, um, which is empowerment through disability. Brother Khalid, if I may ask, what is the gist of this story? Right, so there's a lady by the name of Katie Beryl, who's a mother too from Northampton. This young lady was diagnosed with Stargardt disease at the age of 32. Uh, the disease is a rare genetic condition that affects one in every 10,000 people in the UK and causes a wasting of the central area of the retina at the back of the eye called the macula. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, it usually affects the central vision only and the uh, peripheral vision is not usually affected. So Beryl started her own blog, Facebook support group and Instagram page to raise awareness of the disease and to connect with others who also have the same condition. Now she speaks in her blogs about the difficulties of losing her central uh, vision, such as not being able to recognize her children and feeling isolated and alone. Now, like you said, uh, Kuyum, this is topic is actually entitled empowerment through disabilities. So, how can disability uh, be an empowering experience despite the challenges? We'll delve into this right now. Despite the challenges that come with having disability, it can also be an empowering experience. Many individuals with disabilities find strength and resilience in their struggles and use their experiences to advocate for themselves and others. You will see later on when we have the um, mm. interviews with our guests how, honestly, hats off to, to all these people. They're so amazing that nothing will get in their way. Mm. And honestly, when, when, when you hear their stories, when you hear their, 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 their personal uh, accounts, it's amazing. And, and then we have to look at ourselves and self-reflect and say, we can do more. You know, people who, in other instances, might say, "Okay, I've got a disability, yeah. I give up." But generally, people who have a disability yeah. say, "Look, it's actually um, empowering them mm. to use the faculties that yeah. they have yeah. in a different way, in a, in a positive way." It's a completely different mindset. Yes, you know? I mean, if God forbid any of us were in that situation, mm. uh, where by we had a form more. Um, some form of a disability then you know do you have that mindset of saying you know what I'm not going to get any have any setbacks I'm going to go above and beyond um, and um, try to succeed as much as I can and what the beauty of this country is is that we can have these conversations and we can bring about people who have succeeded yes. um, and we give 
you know, Alhamdulillah, or praise belongs to God, yes. we have the opportunity to give such people the platform to discuss, um, you know, the challenges that they've had in life um, and the successes that have, um, you know, come through because of those challenges. So it's it's brilliant that we can, you know, speak about, you know, being empowered through disability because of the motivation, I say motivation, the, you know, the opportunities that will perhaps give other people who are perhaps going through uh, similar challenges and similar circumstances. Exactly, and this is what we're here to do. We're here to inform and to educate our listeners. And for us as, as, as presenters, we are learning every day and every time we come on, it's always a learning experience. This is what I was saying, you know, Nafisa and uh, my fellow presenters. It's, 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 it's such a nice experience coming here to Voice of Islam because you, you pick up so many new things and you learn, you get so much knowledge. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to say that we are joined by our first guest for this morning. Uh, joining us on the line, we have Kieran Clark. Kieran is a student at the Royal National College for the Blind. Uh, Kieran, who's age 21 and from Aylesbury, Buckinghamshire, lost his eyesight at the age of five due to an allergic reaction to penicillin, uh, penicillin and now only sees light, colour and shadows. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the Voice of Islam. Kieran, how are you this morning? Alaikum salam, all good, alhamdulillah. Just uh, having my morning coffee. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, wake it up. J- j- just coffee on its own? Yeah, just coffee, just black coffee, yeah. That's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kieran, um, so while you're ho- having your coffee, can you please, for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners, can you please begin by just telling us a little bit more about yourself and uh, if you don't mind, just to talk a little bit about your symptoms that you experience. And some of the challenges that you have as a result, and what you've done to overcome them, please. Um, so yeah, obviously I lost my sight at the age of five. Um, I had an actual basic sort of chest infection. Um, then I ended up obviously going to the hospital. Um, I took penicillin. I had a really bad reaction, which caused a disease called Steven Johnson syndrome. Um, so basically, I had blisters all over my body, and obviously, consequently, on my eyes. And uh, obviously, that led to a sort of heavy um, cornea scarring um, so that's what led to the loss of my sight um, yeah so sort of straight after that I sort of got involved in sport straight away actually um, it was just sort of the way I, that I dealt with it at that time so I got into martial arts I've done judo and jiu-jitsu from quite a young age Wow. and um, yeah I started competing in that and that was sort of my journey and that was sort of the way that I sort of dealt with my sight loss at the time and um yeah, really, just sort of went on from there. Uh, obviously, I've ended up at the college as well, got into a bit of blind football here. And so, yeah, so just sort of been, sport's sort of been my avenue for sort of uh, dealing with that sort of sight loss and, and just the sort of challenges that I had to face during my life. So, yeah. Um, while while you're online, uh, let me introduce, uh, we've got two other guests with us um, who we're going to be uh, talking to as well. We've got with us Eamon Hafiz, who's a student at uh, National College uh, for the Blind. Um, and we have with us uh, Muhammad Ravat, who is a student at the Royal National College for the Blind. Uh, gentlemen, uh, good morning. Welcome. Peace be on you. for And thank you for coming on to The Voice of Islam. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, yes, Thank you for coming on to The Voice of Islam. If, if I may, just do a brief introduction for the benefit of our listeners. Um, Eamon Hafiz is 18 years old from Manchester, um, has a condition called Oguchi disease, if, I, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, yeah, that's correct. 
which means that uh, um, his level of sight is labelled as partially sighted. Um, in sporting terms, this is a B3. Um, Eamon, have you studied A-levels, biology, psychology, English literature and sociology, is currently doing an EPQ dissertation titled How to Utilise Neurotransmitters to Better Your Quality of Life. And Mohamed Ravat um, is also... Um, um, is also a student at the Royal College for the Blind. Um, again, thank you and welcome to the Voice of Islam, Brother Khalif. What what we'll do is I think we'll we'll uh, uh, we'll jump the questions between you guys and and uh, just to avoid confusion and uh, uh, talking over each other, we'll take your name before uh, you know we we uh, we'll direct the question at a particular person. I think yeah, you do that, Khalif, brother. Cool. Uh, so, Ayman, a question over to you. Um, what support has the Royal National College for the Blind offered you and how does that actually empower you? Um, so some of the main support that encompasses what the Royal National College for the Blind do is surrounded by sport. They provide loads of different facilities for people that are visually impaired and do sport that they can't do in mainstream sport. So we offer things like blind football, they offer goalball, which is a sport specifically for visually impaired people that they can get involved with and play and actually some of our students have taken that to the Paralympic level. So it really gives them an avenue for them to go forward with and sort of empower the visual impairment that they have. And it shows them that they can do more than just something that people would think would limit them with a disability. Um, they also do things like judo, as Kieran mentioned, and he's actually a qualified coach and that, so he teaches some of our students judo. And I think that's really good because with judo, you don't actually have to sort of manipulate the sport for it to be accessible to visually impaired people so they can really get involved with that because it is so tactile and hands-on and I think that's also something that really empowers our students because it shows that even though they are classed as having a disability and visually impaired or blind they can still get involved with things like that and enjoy it and actually go to competitions and compete in it Excellent, thank you for, for answering that and uh, Mohammed, if I can come to you uh, in general how do you or how would you actually feel? How do you actually feel empowered in the age of such advanced technology? And for example, can you please explain how you use the social media to to, to you know empower yourself? I mean, uh, looking uh, obviously, you know, we start off by learning Braille, but one of the things that they do is they teach how to obviously read Braille first, and then they move on to uh, you know having uh, what what's called a cube braille, which is a braille tablet. And that is basically digital braille. Um, that is something that, uh, you know, I'm learning to use. Uh, but also, obviously, on um, iPhone, you have a thing called voiceover, which basically is a screen reader that reads out every single thing that is on the screen. And it means that you can access things like Instagram and um, Facebook and that. And it, it will read out everything. And what's really good for us is when people put things uh, called alt text on pictures which means that it gives a description of what pictures are so the screen the screen reader can pick it up and then it means that you can then listen to like it will say something like i don't know uh in this picture there is a, a man standing next to a tree or something like that you know something that's a bit random but um you know that little bit of description really goes a long way and you know that's how I uh, you know listen and see what's on what's happening online. Excellent, thank you.
Who's doing the next question? Uh, I wanted to ask Kieran, um, in your opinion, how can we as a society help empower people who may uh, experience or have a disability? Um, I think personally it's just awareness. Um, I think it's just uh, sort of perceptions need to change of people that um, have disabilities or have, have certain challenges in their life. Um, I, just, I just generally think like the awareness from other people and understanding that everyone is completely the same. They just have that, that um, so-called disability that's, that's, that's challenging them in their life. So for me, it's just a perceptional thing. And um, accepting that like that person that, that has that disability is just <laughs> that's something that they can't control, but we can all control how we think about those things. So it's just about understanding the controllables for me and just sort of like, just yeah, just changing that perception really. When you see someone with a, with a disability, you just treat them like any other person. They're not just because they can't see or they can't hear or they can't walk or anything like that. Doesn't mean that they can't communicate. You know what I mean? So just, of course. just treat them as a normal person, and and that's it really. Like that's that's how everyone wants to be. You know what I mean? So I I have a question for all three of you. Um, I, I mean I, I declare an interest here. My my eldest daughter is visually impaired. She's completely blind, but um, she's 28 now. But things were so different then. How do you engaged engage your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your friends? How do you show them what you see or what you don't see? If I may come to Kieran. Um, I think my mum just sees me walking into stuff all the time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> she probably she probably knows how much I can see. Um, I think. It's it's a lot of like, I, I'm very I'm very I'd say I'm very assertive in in what I need in life. So, um, if if I need something or I can't do something or I can't see something, I'm I'm not scared to ask for help. That's something that I've had to work on Fantastic. as a part of acceptance of a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the one issue that I've raised since being at the college is a lot of people haven't accepted their sort of position in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like what God has ordained for them. So it's like. I feel like the number one step for people is to accept and then they can be more vocal about what they need and what support they need and how much they can see and how much they can't see. So, yeah, I just think, honestly, people just need to be more comfortable with their position. I know it's easier said than done. It's not, it's not been an easy journey for any of us. But Acceptance, yeah, just, is, acceptance yeah. is one of the biggest challenges, not just for the individual, but for the family around. Yeah, 100%. Um, if I may, Eamon, and uh, if I come to you for, uh, again. Yeah. Um, so with my um, condition, as I mentioned, it's a visual impairment. It's not classed as full blindness. So sure. my condition is a little bit less, it's a little bit more subtle. So you mm-hmm. can't really tell that I'm a visually impaired person if I was walking on the street where I knew the location, for example. So with my family at home, because I also don't see them as often because I'm at a residential college, when I go home, I might have experienced a change in my sight so I have to explain to them that now I could I used to be able to read this but now I can't read this or before I would be able to see this and now I can't so for me it's just a verbal thing of and as Kieran said being assertive just in explaining to the people around me that there might have been a change in my sight and this is now what I can do and this is what I can't do and it's it, it's never really a problem I just explain to them and, and they're very supportive about it everybody's willing to help and as he said, they don't see you as a disabled person per se. They just see you as um, their daughter or as their sister that has difficulty doing these things and they're more than happy to help with that. So that makes it a lot more helpful. It makes it a lot easier to deal with. 
Awesome. Mohammed Ravid? Yeah, um, <clears throat> kind of echoing very similar things. Um, Alhamdulillah, I've got a very supportive family and, you know, um, anything that if, if I, I feel very uh, blessed, you know, if, if I do feel uh, there's a change, if I need to talk about anything, like, you know, there's always someone there, Alhamdulillah. And, um, you know, if I do, because uh, my uh, sight loss happened when I was around 18. Um, so, you know, before that, I could I could see. So I've had quite a significant change um in my life um and you know adapting to that like Kieran said uh it has been difficult but um alhamdulillah I, i've taken a lot of um you know uh comfort in um you know my, one of my um great uncles from south africa who is blind and he went on to um you know become the uh constitutional judge for south africa um justice zakia group and he was appointed by nelson mandela so he's one of my biggest um, inspirations. And also talking about inspiration, um, recently I've been looking to the seerah and um, life of the uh, Prophet Muhammad and looking into the time and seeing if there's any disabled people there. And um, especially um, in terms of blindness, if you look at Surah Abasa, it's based on um, an incident that happened with uh, Abdullah ibn, Mak- ibn Maktoum, uh, radiallahu anhu. And, um, you know, this guy was, is blind from uh, birth. And, you know, um, there's obviously a whole story about that. And seeing how the Prophet, you know, treated him and others around that time, uh, you know, showed me that, you know, um, you know, the Prophet made time for people who have disabilities. And, you know, going back to your other question about how can we empower people in our uh, community, I think is, um, you know, looking at the lessons that he's taught us and implementing them a lot more. And, you know, it's just talking really and getting a dialogue started definitely i think talking uh, helps a lot but before i let you guys go uh, i just want to share my story with you um some 26 years ago mm. uh, i was a vice chair of governor for a school for children with visually impaired right yeah um and uh, which was run in fact by uh, royal national institute of the blind right um uh, they, they used to overlook it and the first my first experience again my daughter was two and a half then mm. And uh, I went to see the school. Right. And I sat there, and the head teacher called somebody, and this young kid with dark glasses came in. Um, he knew about me beforehand. Wow. Okay. Um, he walked up to me and goes, Oh, Mr. Rashid. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nadia's dad. I said, Yeah. And he goes, Okay. He goes, Follow me. I'm going to show you around the school. Oh. So I followed this kid. He must have been five. Five. Amazing. He went two floors. He showed me around the school, wow. came back. And, and when I spoke to the head teacher, and he goes, You know, that's Adam. And, and he goes, Adam is completely blind. And he showed me around the school at five, five and a half. Yes. And I didn't realize that he was visually impaired because he knew mm. exactly where he was going. Yes. And the next thing they did, mm. um, they called in a lot of parents and they put blindfolds on us and they gave us sticks. Um, and they had this courtyard with the tree. Mm. And they said, walk around the tree. Yes. Using the stick. Yes. With yeah. the blindfold on. And we couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a scary experience, and, and, isn't it? And it's a scary experience, yeah, yeah. but it's it was such a positive one too. Yeah, yes. Because it helped me engage with my daughter. Excellent. It helped me. Um, do you guys do these kind of exercises with your loved ones? Um, do these exercises still exist? Do they work? Mm. If I may uh, come to you, um, any of you guys, jump in. Uh, yeah, should I go first? Um, 
Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, all right. So, um, from Guide Dogs UK, um, for my family, we had um sighted guide training, and when they came along to do that, they had what they call um simulator spec. So <laughs> what yeah. now? Instead of just having a blindfold, so like Amen and like my, my site as well as like mine's going down as well. So I'm using a cane a lot more now. Uh, but it's basically kind of different glasses that kind of replicate different visual impairments. So my parents were able to put on one that, that has the same condition that I have and walk walk down the street, and that really gave them a very clear idea of what what my you know what my sight is like what kind of challenges i face like you know cars parked on the pavement and things like that you know um so it still exists and i think it's one of the better ways of other people understanding kind of how we you know um how, how we go about things guys i would love to continue this conversation but we are coming up to the hour i want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for you to join us this morning i actually want to bring you back on um, and uh, at a later date definitely to raise awareness and to kind of engage and what you guys talked about is to talk about this and um, because the more we talk about it the more people will learn and the more people will be aware um, of the challenges not just you guys face but we need to understand and be educated as and well. to be educated yes. so i thank you from the bottom of my heart i i, I hope and pray that may god blesses you uh, with success in all of your endeavors um i mean um until we speak again which we will do uh, peace be on you guys assalamu alaikum thank you for having me thank you gentlemen we are coming up to the hour um we still have to play some catch up here yes uh, the producers are our <laughs> phone beating us up here <laughs> i think we should be like quite ready to do another show with them and spend at least 2 hours because they've got so much to say I and mean, if you look at their experiences and um the achievements is amazing it yeah. is it is we can definitely learn a lot oh i, I think you know uh artificial intelligence has come so i mean you know the progression of man the evolution of mind mm. has 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 kind of done a lot yes. to to ease uh, the challenges mm. um uh, that are faced by by some of our youngsters um but uh, we will continue this conversation um after we have a quick break um off the eight o'clock news stay tuned you are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayu, and Brother Shazir, Brother Khalid, and Brother Nafis. Uh, what a fantastic uh, um, uh, panel of guests we had, our youngsters who... Um, it's, it's beautiful and uh, to see um, how um, positive they are. Mm. in in their tackling the, the, yeah. the, 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 the challenge. It is challenging. It's very easy to be uh, or have the negative mindset of just giving up and yes, saying, sir. well, this is what I am and, you know, sort of um, letting life uh, run past you. But, you know, it's very motivational to see that these young individuals, you know, are coming to terms with their mm. challenges and disabilities and thereafter they are going on to succeed in the various fields that they um, have gone into which is absolutely brilliant and, and it's a pleasure to listen to definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm glad to say that we have on the line with us our next guest for this morning's show we have on the line with us Kutsia Khalil uh, Kutsia is working on a braille project for two years and is currently serving as president of the ladies auxiliary organisation in Purley 
Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Voice of Islam. Peace be upon you too, Jazakallah, for having me this morning. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Kuti, uh, wanted to ask you if you could tell us more about the project of creating a copy of the Holy Quran in the Braille language. What can you tell us about that? Yes, sure, Jazakallah. Um, yeah, I just want to give you a little bit of background why uh, we produce Braille Holy Quran in the first place. Um, this is that I belong to an Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and our community was established in 1889. When it was 100 years, uh, 1989 was the centenary 100 years, our Khalifa at the time, the fourth Khalifa of our community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him. He had a desire, actually, he wanted to offer 100 translations of the Holy Quran in, as, a, as a thanksgiving gift to Allah and to spread the message of Islam all corners of the world. Uh, even though there were some translations existed, but he wanted to sort of complete 100 translations. So reaching out to blind people and producing a Braille Holy Quran was a step further in that course. And it was about 2002, um, I think, yeah, it was about 2002 when our Amir Jamad, which is the administrative head of our community in London, uh, Rafiq Yamadayat Sahib, he approached me, he contacted me, that if I would be interested to take a project on producing a Braille Holy Quran. Even though I wasn't a, a, a Braille reader as such, uh, but as a, being a teacher in several schools, I had worked with some special needs children as well, and I had an interest. And more importantly, you know, Holy Quran is very close to every Muslim's heart. And for me, it is, I am very, very close to the Holy Quran, and it's, it's just an opportunity came to me, and I couldn't refuse, and I was so thankful to Allah for having this opportunity. So that's the background. So back in 2002, when Amir uh, in called me in his office, uh, he gave me a disc, which was prepared by two gentlemen previously, and uh, they had done some kind of scanning of the Holy Quran translation in that. And then Amisa said to me, here, Kutsi Ahmad, this is all for you. You start, you finish the project, you do everything, and that's just keep me informed. And then, well, I gave Sadhka charity, I gave some charity, I did two nafal prayers that Allah enabled me to do that. And then I thought about how I'm going to start. So the first thing was that I contacted Royal National Institute of Blind in London, and then I negotiated with them that if they could permit me to work in their premises and then use some of their expertise and use some of their machinery, um, and then we do transcription in Braille of the Holy Quran. So the Holy Quran, which uh, the translation, English translation, is not a, a Braille of Arabic we are talking about. I'm talking about producing the English translation in Braille. And that we copied from the translation which was already done by Hazrat 
Mali Sherali Sahib in, in our community. So that translation work was to be transferred into Braille. Now, how do I do this? This is a big book, holy book of God. There is no room to make any mistakes. And it's a very, very important work. So even though I was excited, but I was very nervous as well. So I did a lot of work. And then uh, RNIB, luckily, you know, they agreed uh, and they allowed me to go to their institute and work there. So I worked there for two years. Uh, to transfer the translation of English into Braille uh, was a difficult uh, at, the, at that time because, you know, we had some scanned documents which was, you know, not complete and and then when the embossed in Braille, it wasn't coming very right. So the first task for me was a long study task to transfer the English text into Braille with the help of certain ladies there, you know, mm, uh, certain ladies there and then their equipment I have used. When all of the translation, English translation, was converted into Braille, <clears throat> then I contacted uh, Peterborough, uh, a printing press, so they could make me one uh, a dummy, you know, you can say a one sample, the first copy, just one copy of that document which we uh, have prepared. When that arrived, then I had to do <coughs> a very strict proofreading, and the proofreading work was very taxing. And you have to be really unfocused for long periods of time. It's not easy. And then I was working with Anna. She was a blind person. I'm a sighted person. So I was looking, she was reading. And there were mistakes in that. And, you know, as a Muslim, as an Amdi woman, I'm horrified that there should not be any mistakes. So I prepared a performer a kind of a form which I would use and I write every line, every page, <coughs> every word where the mistake occurs to make it easier to rectify that mistake. So again, they took some months for me to to do the whole of the proofreading of the Holy Quran. After that, um, we contacted again, you know, um, the Peterborough printing press and their manager came to see me in London and we discussed the price and how they're going to print it, what paper they're going to use, what wire bounding they're going to use. And, and there was a lot of this nitty-gritty which um, was um, discussed and she agreed with me. And on every stage, I was reporting that to our Amir Zimar, the administrative head, as I said before, uh, I was reporting him on every stage. After agreeing on the price for printing and everything, um, by the grace of Allah, the, the master files were given to them. And then the first copy of the Holy Quran, Braille Holy Quran, was prepared and ready in 2004. So I went to our main mosque in the Tilsitu in Morden, where I received that and I was trembling with thankfulness to Allah that it came. MashaAllah. But the point which I want to mention, my brother, is that our community, 
you know, by the grace of Allah, you know, I was fortunate that this was the first very unique translation in English we have produced. Because previously, there were two Holy Quran or produced by some other people. And I've got the names of those companies, you know. But they were not really, they're not available. A, that they weren't a true translation. B, that there was one company who just did one translation. That was G.M. Rodwell in 1953. And there was one in 1990. Uh, it was the Penguin Press series. They produced it. But that wasn't a direct translation, so that's not available. So we, uh, my community, Alhamdulillah, your community, it's the pioneer and the first to produce the Quran. Alhamdulillah. Good to say it's been very informative and very interesting to listen um, and to know about how this all came to fruition. Um, and thank you so much for being with us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure, um, greatly informative, and inshallah, God willing, we'll love to have you again um, in the very near yes, future. And you know, the previous speakers, you know, I wonder if, if you could give them the, our Holy Quran for them to read. Um, because I was listening to your show before and there have been very wonderful speakers who are blind or partially blind. They would benefit from reading our Holy Quran. That's a wonderful wonderful suggestion. We will get in touch with them and and try um, and uh, and fulfill your request. Thank you, Kutsia. Jazakallah for having me. Salaam Peace be on you. An absolute pleasure, um, and it's brilliant to listen to you know um, the fact that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community were the pioneers in translating the Holy Quran into the Braille language, a language perhaps um, well is foreign to everyone um, who wouldn't know anything about it. So it's um, um, very informative, um, and this whole segment really yeah. um, has been very informative, especially you know personally because of the fact that this is a completely different avenue which none of us, or at least I haven't, um, ventured down into. So it's been um, exquisite to say the least. I do believe we have uh, various other guests lined up and it's been a flurry of them this morning, which is brilliant. Um, may, if, may if I could introduce uh, Brother Hassan Muhammad, peace be upon you, and thank you so much for joining with us this morning. Assalamualaikum. Good morning. Thank you so much, Brother Hassan. Lazan is a 25-year-old from Birmingham, and he's currently doing some freelance writing in terms of social media. He mainly uses Twitter, although there's also Facebook and Instagram. Um, Brother Hassan, I've got to kindly start off by asking you, um, tell us a bit more about yourself um, and your autism. Of course. So, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm 25 years old. I was diagnosed when I was 8 years old, but it wasn't until I was about... 20 when I began to, I suppose, accept that that's a part of me. Because up until that point, I think I was just a bit ashamed, a bit embarrassed. Um, And then when I was 23, that's when I began to utilize Twitter to engage with other autistic people and I suppose learn more about autism itself and how it manifests and all the different things which I didn't really learn when I was younger. And since then, you know, I think I think my life's changed really the better you know i i understand myself a lot a lot more and it's made it a lot easier for me to engage with other people because i just i know my needs a lot better now and boundaries mm. things like that that's been really good for me um and hassan for those of us or for those of our listeners that aren't aware of what autism is what is how can one define autism 
Um, yeah, it's difficult to kind of put it down to one definition. I suppose it would be, I suppose in in the simplest terms, it would be considered as a developmental disability. There are there are mixed views as to whether it should be considered a disorder. Cause, but um, yeah, let's just say it's a developmental disability. It, it probably affects how we go about things. But I suppose if you wanted like a even simpler way of Mm. describing it I suppose we could say it's like it's just like my brain has a different operating system mm-hmm. so yeah I think that's a, a good way of putting it I think and as an autistic person do you experience any kind of challenges um, and if so how do you overcome them and manage them yeah so um, I think uh, I think a big one is masking um, for the initiated masking is like when we're having to suppress our autistic traits, either subconsciously or consciously for safety. Um, so, for example, you know, we will try our best not to not to seem autistic, basically. Uh, and that um, tends to take up a lot of energy and can be draining because, you know, obviously, and because, you know, we don't want to feel like we're being prejudiced by other people, um, which is, I suppose, the core of it, you know, society and things like that I think there are still a lot about there's still a lot about autism which hasn't been um, I suppose it's not, it's not as widespread uh, in terms of the information because there's a lot of misinformation and I think um, yeah it, it can it can be a struggle when people don't understand it and, and um, you feel like you have to do a lot all the work almost in terms of um, I, I suppose educating people on autism but at the same time I'm happy to I, I try and do what I can to help people. Again, uh, interest here, my daughter I talked about earlier, she's autistic with visual impairment. Um, I think you're, 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 you know, you hit the nail on the head there, Brother Hassan. It's the awareness. The awareness isn't there. Uh, the accuracy of uh, Asperger's, autism um, and the different forms of autism um, isn't there. But I think, I'm sure you will agree that uh, improvements have been made the 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 schemes of awareness societies like the autistic society there is network autism there is more international uh, cooperation between societies across the world um and and people are becoming more and more aware um of uh, um of autism would you agree yeah i think it's definitely i've definitely seen an improvement i think um you know i think hopefully we're moving away from autism being simply considered a condition that uh, presents in children and you know goes away as an adult which it doesn't but that can be yeah can be how it, it can be presented you, you remind me of, of of a time when somebody said to me oh don't worry can you your daughter will grow out of it and i said i looked yeah. at him and i said it's not it's not mm. it's not uh, a medical condition it is it is again yeah. it's a way of life yes mm-hmm. i think it's yeah, exactly. I, if i could quickly interject here i think I think minority, ethnic minority groups specifically um, struggle to come to terms yes, with these most challenges. And denial. Denial, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Um, and, and Hassan, what's you, been your experience in sort of, um, I mean, how can I put this, really trying to explain to other people within these ethnic minorities, or, or at least our ethnic minority, of um, you know the challenges that you have faced? Or yeah, faced? so um, I suppose if we were to kind of take it back to the kind of cultural aspect. So, um, you know, my background is Pakistani and Muslim, obviously. Um, and, uh, yeah, in terms of 
It does feel that in terms of attitudes when it comes to for any form of difference, anything to do with mental health or different neurotypes, it can be quite far behind, which is probably a polite way of putting it in terms of. But that would be from yeah. a cultural perspective. I mean, yeah, because people tend to, you know, that they, they tend to dilute religion and, and, and they mix up the culture and religion and they call it religion. In fact, religion is one of the uh, one of the most strongest points that tackles and assists and, and is positive um, about how to um, to be accepting um, of, of all ways of life. And again, I call it a way of life because um, um, I've seen my daughter live it. And because if if my daughter lives it, I live it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I yeah. think I think culturally, yes, I would agree with you that there are challenges without a shadow of a doubt. But it's, it's because of awareness and education. Mm. Or, or the yeah. lack of it, really. The lack yeah. of it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, yes. I think um, at its core, you know, Islam promotes acceptance, understanding, and yeah, that's just something that hopefully we can get to the root of. Wonderful. And Hassan, I would, I would wanted to have your opinion as to how uh, can we, as a society, help empower people with disability. Um, I think, I think a big part is um, centering us in in debates and things like but quite simply speaking to more autistic people about autism because there's a lot of you know you get a lot of these researchers who do research into autism but they're not autistic themselves and they might not or people who might write about autism but they might not consult autistic people if they're not autistic themselves um and i think if work can be done on that front i think um i think especially in my case because um I'm, 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 I'm at a position now where all of my friends are autistic or neurodivergent so they and they think they might be autistic uh which is a good thing for me in terms of you know the the kind of core level of understanding is there and there's no need to it's not yeah it's, it's not hard work basically um and uh that helps in terms of if i ever need reassurance or a bit of support and i know where i'm going to get it from and, I, and it's beautiful for me um yeah i think uh being able to allow us to feel comfortable in an environment. Obviously, it's down to the autistic person themselves to decide if uh, an environment is a safe place or not, but kind of creating that, or aiming to create that um, to the point where the autistic person, disabled person can be themselves, I think is really important. Hassan, we've we learned so much from you and all our other guests this morning. What would be your advice to sort of the lay person, person who has not engaged with an autistic autistic person? How how can we better engage with autistic people, and what can we do to, you know, um, to learn and educate ourselves more about this um, autistic or autism rather, autistic world, the autistic world? Yes. Yeah, I mean, for the easy thing to say it would be to do research but I would also yeah I would encourage you to if you can um, you know try and engage with autistic people kind of give them give them the opportunity to I suppose express themselves and hopefully that way you know it could be because I think because I think if, if society was to accommodate autistic people and disabled people that would benefit everyone regardless yes. of and that's I think that's one thing that I think is important and should be considered I think, I, like I always say, yeah. disability, you know, it's like disabled. disability doesn't mean unable. People yeah. automatically think someone's disabled, yeah. unable to do this. No. Mm. 
disability means that doesn't mean that and that it's that what needs to be changed of course yes and and you know to be if if anybody wants to be get involved then go and volunteer every single area in uk mm. has an autistic group social group right. forums parental groups sibling mm. groups um become a member of national autistic society mm. there's network autism there there are people on there's organizations on twitter on 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 social media there are mm. so many organizations based around aspergers autism and, and there's so many different forms mm. of of uh, um of of the challenges um um if i may ask uh, brother hassan before um before we let you go um what's uh, you're you're in the i see that you're doing some freelance writing um would you not say that you are in the best place to kind of raise awareness um for 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 how you um, perceive the world and how the, the world should be um uh, should treat disability yeah i mean i try my best um, but yeah like for the past uh, for the past while you know i've i've utilized twitter to write you know, long threads about autism and stuff and now and that kind of progressed on to me doing blog posts and things um and yeah so i think the because i'm working on a website at the moment i think having kind of a place where i can just express myself and talk about autism and hopefully that will help people and hopefully i can you know because i'm I, you know i follow a lot of autism accounts and you know, I, I, there's not many, if any, that I've seen that are, you know, in terms of like the cultural background, mm-hmm. um, that are from people like me. And I, I suppose I can, I can do something with that, you know, in terms of. Well, maybe, maybe you can tackle that. You know, that that some people tend to blame religion for cultural, um, uh, um, um, you know, um, whereas cult- religion is there to empower. Mm. Whereas uh, yeah. culture is 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 lack of education and 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 uh, uh, awareness, like uh, brother uh, Shazib said. Yeah, wonderful. Absolutely, brother Sam. Thank you so much for taking time out this morning. Um, again, I, I I hope I pray um, that uh, may God uh, reward you and blesses you uh, with success in all your endeavours. Um, and thank you for joining us this morning. Peace be on you, brother. Jazakallah. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm going to quickly go on to an interview we did with one of our young producers, um, um, Salman Coker, um, on uh, um, on this uh, on exactly this uh, particular topic. Let's go and listen to what Salman um, had to say um, on the topic at hand. Well, dear listeners, um, today I'm very delighted to have with me Salman Coker, who is also a member of Voice of the Sun, especially of Breakfast Show who has produced many, many shows for the Breakfast Show. Um, so, Mark Hooker, um, welcome. Basically, you are already a part of the show, but still welcome. And um, it's good to have you with me. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Welcome, Islam. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Shahil Sabai. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to uh, having a discussion with you. Um, Salman, um, I've seen you working very hard for the Breakfast Show, um, but you have also lost your sight. And it's very amazing that still you have been a big part of the Breakfast Show. You have produced so many uh, shows for the Breakfast Show as well. Um, Before I come to that, I just want to know, uh, how did you lose your sight? How did you feel at that moment? Um... I guess it 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 started. Well, I, I was born visually impaired, 
so I had restricted vision uh, in my eyes. And then in October 1991, I lost sight in my left eye. That was due to okay. uh, severe glaucoma. And then in 2005, my cornea ruptured uh, whilst I was coming home on the underground train in London. Mm. Um, it filled up with water and, and I, I could see very blurred um, pictures out of, out of my eye. It was not very clear. And then um, I, I've had 24 operations since on my right eye. And unfortunately, now I've only got some light perception on, on a good day. So that's, and that, that's due to sort of, you know, corneal and glaucoma issues, which has meant that my, my sight has deteriorated. Um, coming back to your, the second part of your question and um, how did it make me feel? I think, I, I, I think that's an interesting question because I think when I lost sight in my left eye, I was what, nine years old? I didn't really understand. And the fact mm -hmm. that I still had sight in my right eye meant that I was um, not really that worried or it didn't hinder me in any way. But I think this kind of the deterioration that took place um, after 2005 um, was, I guess, a bit harder to accept initially because I have a very independent life. And when you're used to doing everything on your own and, and then things happen and, and, and your sight deteriorates, you have to learn and adjust yourself. And I think that's a task that takes time. And I think the most important aspect, there's two really important aspects of how that made you feel and how you deal with it. One is the fact that um, your faith and your iman gets you through it and, and being able to pray and, and seek solace from Allah really helps. Mm -hmm. um, and, and second of all, I was very fortunate that my, my, my family were wonderful and they were supportive in everything that I did. And I think that transition and how I felt um, uh, really helped me in, in, in determining who I was and how I was feeling and how I was going to sort of perhaps shape my life moving forward. So Alhamdulillah, you, you are blessed with a great family. That's very good. Um, Saman, how did you learn to continue your daily routine after losing your sight? Um, how did I how did I continue to deal with that? Um, I think I think it's all Shahzab. I think it's a lot about having a strong faith and and being able to have an open mind. I think the first thing I learned was that you have to be positive. You have to embrace all the opportunities that you have because. I'm, I'm very lucky. I live in a society where there's a lot of opportunities open to me um, and a society which goes above and beyond in helping uh, those and assisting those with a disability. So I think I think for me it was it was kind of making that transition emotionally. And and then I had to learn. I like, for example, I had to learn to use a white cane. Which, which, which I knew of because I'd been around people who had, but I wasn't mm. aware of uh, kind of it's used properly in public and how to use it to ensure my safety and, and to be able to get around. So I think doing that and having a focus was really important, I think, as well. And and, and the fact that I wanted to sort of continue uh, my studies and, and continue my academic journey also helped me. But I, I, I've got to say that 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 
it's not just one thing. It was all those things that highlighted and probably some that I perhaps have missed as well. So um, what are you studying uh, uh, currently now? Uh, currently, uh, I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way through my PhD at Newcastle University. Wow. Um, I'm looking at uh, gender representation in Islam mm -hmm. and, and looking at how uh, gender, especially female gender, is represented within Islam and how that then corresponds to how the wider public see it and how they then formulate opinions. Okay, amazing, amazing way. You know, Samantha, um, because we both know each other, uh, you are presenter of the, uh, the Breakfast Show, and I have also presented, uh, sorry, you're a producer, and I have also produced one show of the Breakfast Show, and it's very difficult, it's not very easy. You are the experienced one, you are the pro, basically. Because I've seen so many shows you have produced, very grateful, very good shows. Um, How, can you just... Tell us, how have you continued to empower, empower so, so much energy and doing so many activities on the Jamaat level, but also on worldly level? I think, I think, Shahil Saab, I think, I think, I think a big part of it is, is the drive inside to increase awareness and education, not just mm -hmm. in our community, but within society as a whole. And I think you can only do that by embracing the opportunities and trying it. So I was, you know, by the grace of Allah, I was given an opportunity to to produce or, or to learn to produce the show. And um, I was completely honest with them about my sight loss. And I said to them, you know, at the beginning to management that this is what I can do. This is what my limitations are. You know, would it be possible? I may need some assistance at some, uh, during some stages, but, you know, you, I, I would give it a hundred percent full commitment and I'll give it a go. And, and I think, I think having, having child up, I think having a positive attitude means that you've overcome 50% of the challenge mm -hmm. and the rest of the 50%, I think you can overcome if you say, okay, fine, I'm going to give it a go and, and see what happens and, and be honest to those that you're working with that, you know, this is my limitation. I can't do this or I physically can't do this because it doesn't work with my adaptive software. Um, it's not fully accessible. Could you please assist me? And, and I think once people understand and, and are aware of, Of, of your disability. People go above and beyond, like yourself, Shahil Saab, and all the other people at Voice of Islam. And, 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 and that does feel very empowering because it feels like that, that you, are, you, are, you are treated with just immense um, respect and dignity. And, and, and that's the key constituent of, of feeling empowered in any society, in any organization. I, I like your positive vibes, seriously. It's very uh, good to know to know that as well. It's gonna help me for the future as well, indeed. Um, someone just one question, last question. Um, are there any misconceptions people have uh, about people with disabilities? I think I think there are there are uh, there are a lot of misconceptions uh, which which um, unfortunately occur in our society and people's mind and attitude. But I but I really don't think that is intentional. I think I think a lot of it is people are not exposed to um others with disability. And I think 
increasing awareness and education is the only way that you're ever going to get rid of this misconception. And it's all about, it's all about giving people an opportunity to express themselves. It doesn't matter what your disability is. That shouldn't stop you from achieving whatever your ambition and goal is. And if you're determined enough and you're resilient enough, then you can do that. And I think that falls on you as well to be open, honest, and and be polite and humble towards people when you're talking about your disability because people may have some misconceptions or they're not sure about how to talk to you about it or how to make things accessible and and never go with the notion that they should know because they they will not know and 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 essentially they can't know if they don't actually have that disability as to what is required so i think i think we, we all have a duty to sort of approach it in in a kind of really humble manner and say yeah you know what this is what the problem is or this is what the issue is you know can you assist and i think that is how you end up beginning to eliminate any um uh misconceptions and negative thoughts that may exist True. No, um, it is it was an honor to talking to you about uh, everything. As I said, you are an experienced producer, and I think I want to go into the producing side as well. Maybe I can learn from you. Zakala um, for taking out your time. Zakala for the excellent answers and for the positive vibes you are spreading around. May Allah bless you for that, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Zakala. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show. We were just listening to an interview uh, with young man Salman Kokar. I've known Salman since yeah, good since, since, <laughs> uh, uh, since his younger days. You know the school I was talking about when right. my daughter went. Salman attended the same school. Oh, I see. And and I can I can I tell you, mm. Salman is a testament mm. to how to challenge uh, uh, cultural unawareness mm. and how to use religion to empower. Um, um, uh, to, you know, to, to empower yourself to yes. achieve uh, success, uh, and he sounds really humble. Mm. He is humble, yeah. but he's understating his achievement. Oh, he's super intelligent, man. He is. <laughs> he is, and and you know, and he is a uh, a very experienced producer. Definitely for oh, yes. the, for for the Voice of Islam and yes. for the Breakfast Show. Yes. And I want to thank uh, our young brother Saman for for taking time out and and giving his interview. And I and I and I hope a lot of people. Uh, do listen to him, and and because Salman is is again, as I say, the best example. He's a testament to um, to how to achieve um, success and how to tackle yes. um, the 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 infinite challenges yeah. that get thrown definitely um, at uh, at people. Um, we're gonna uh, conclude uh, this 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 uh, fantastic topic that we were speaking about for just over an hour and move on to our next uh, topic, uh, brother. Uh, Khalid, what is the gist of uh, gist of the next uh, um, uh, next topic that we're talking about? So, uh, in this final part of today's show, we're going to be discussing what is terrorism legislation. Now, 
There's a new legal terrorism orders specifically for children uh, should be brought in to tackle the growing numbers being arrested. The official advisor on terrorism law has told the government now ministers are studying plans that would result in children being compelled to accept help or face jail devised by Jonathan Hall KC, the independent review review of terrorism legislation. So the official advisor on terrorism law in the UK, Jonathan Hall KC, has recommended the introduction of legal terrorism orders specifically for children to tackle the growing number of uh, children being arrested for low-level ter uh, low terrorism offences, such as sharing propaganda or downloading material. And we saw this, you know, um, um, that over the pandemic, when people were, you know, in lockdown and they were just sitting in front of computers, there, there's been a, like a, a rise in, in far-right groups um, and other kind of uh, extremist groups. Um, and because we're living in this era of populism, isn't it? So Exactly. So, so that's, you know, th th there's this narrative that goes around that it's okay to be racist. It's okay to, to uh, you know, to be extremist. Yes. It's, it's, uh, um, it's not questioned enough mm. um, by... And, and, and too, many of, too much of the time, mainstream media kind of fuels... People are out there to, f you know, they, they add fuel to the fire. Definitely. Um, and, uh, and and uh, and that causes um, that kind of escalates the problem. Yeah, I mean, as we're all aware, mm -hmm. we, for newspapers to to sell, you know, it's all these big stories, all these scandals that that make, hit the lines. It's not all the other things, the positive things. Like for example, our community and uh, around the globe are heavily involved in building community relations, in uh, in helping in so many different aspects. With there's like blood drives, there's homeless feeding, there's uh, tree planting, so many different things that our community are involved in and our youth are involved in, our, all our members of our community, from young to old, yeah, that everyone's involved in building up relations with the people around us, with our fellow citizens. Yeah. We, we, mm. we, the whole idea, again, mm. we get our guidance from His Holiness, yes, uh, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah. Mazad Mirza Masur, may Allah strengthen his hand. Yes. You know, who is forever telling us that it's humanity first? Definitely. Yeah, which is which is part and parcel of uh, something, um, Brother Nafis, we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about the rights of God Almighty. Exactly. Um, but how can you talk about the rights of... You can only um, kind of <coughs> fulfill the rights of God Almighty mm -hmm. if you fulfill the rights of man. Exactly. It's interesting that you mentioned that because as as uh, as believers yes. or as uh, as people who believe or follow religion, we've been given two basic duties, and that's our duties towards our Creator, yes. God Almighty, and then the duties towards mankind. Yes. And uh, people don't understand, so they miss this point that it's actually easier to fulfill your duties towards uh, God Almighty. You can wake up for your um, five daily prayers. Yes. You can worship. You can you can you can fast. You can pay the zakat and so on and so forth. What is difficult because you're doing that for yourself. Yes. Mm. But what is difficult is uh, what's harder actually, or people neglect, is um, uh, helping your neighbour, mm. smiling, uh, cleaning the streets, yes. helping the needy, yes. and so on and so forth. And sometimes people uh, have this misunderstanding where they just concentrate on themselves. In other words, and which is more or less the duty towards God Almighty. You know, we're talking mm. about tackling terrorism. Yes. 
I I wish, mm. I pray, mm. that the organization and the governments use this true Islam mm. to tackle terrorism yes. by teaching the youngsters that Literal. Islam is, the literal meaning of Islam is to submit. Yes. Mm. Submit to what? To the will of God. What's the will of God? Peace. Peace, mm. yes. That's true Islam. The, and, you know, to tackle terrorism, to teach these people who have this uh, extreme mindset mm. that you're not understanding your own religion. Mm. This is the true meaning of religion. That, and, and this notion of jihad is struggle mm. of everyday life. Yes. Yes. It's not about uh, yeah. you know, no, f <laughs> flying the flags of, of, uh, of, of, of nonsense, yes. of, exactly. of killing. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with it. Jihad is about struggle. It's about education. It's about yes. knowledge. Yes. Let's go and talk to our first guest yes. um, for this segment. Uh, I'm glad to say we, uh, we are joined this morning on the line uh, with uh, Professor Julian Richards. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you and welcome to the Voice of Islam, Professor Richards. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. So, uh, Professor Julian Richards is currently Director of the Centre for Security and Intelligence Studies at the University of Buckingham. Previously, Richard, uh, Professor Richards worked for many years for the UK government on intelligence and counter-terrorism uh, policy. He is a frequent commentator on such issues on national and international media and has given formal evidence to government inquiries on such issues as privacy and security. Uh, so my first question to you, uh, Professor Richard, is what are the principal reasons uh, for this particular policy? Okay, so the, um, this has been driven by um, recent statistics, and particularly post-pandemic statistics, which suggest that the, the number of referrals, many of your listeners will be familiar with the PREVENT programme, which involves a process of referrals of concern about potential radicalization into into a particular process um, the, the number of the proportion of those referrals that have been relating to increasingly younger individuals and increasingly um, people younger than 18 are essentially minors um, has, has has spiked rather alarmingly in the last couple of years and there's a lot of complexity in that data obviously so so there's a growing feeling that um, something more needs to be done to tackle the risk of dangerous radicalization in uh, amongst people who are essentially minors whether this is this particular proposal is the right approach or not is, of course is something that we can debate but that's that's what's driving it um richard i would like to know how does radical behavior manifest in children and what um practical and realistic steps can be undertaken to to de-radicalize them Okay, so this is um, this is where it obviously gets difficult because a lot of this is about expressions of interest in um, particular ideologies. It's about um, showing an interest in particular types of content on the internet. Um, it's about potentially joining circles of people who share what might be defined as as radical ideas. It's it's in that very difficult space of, of pre-criminal space essentially. So. Uh, obviously, in a free uh, country with free speech, people are allowed to, to think and say what they want as long as they're not breaking any laws or inciting direct violence. But um, the, the problem here, and we should say that the, the radical ideologies we're talking about are many and varied. Um, it's, it's not just uh, Islamist, if we can use that very awkward term, 
ideology. It's also far-right ideology, and in some ways that mm-hmm. um, that side of the picture is, is the particularly concerning one at the moment. There's, there seem to be a rise of young individuals um, taking an interest in extreme far-right ideology, in um, engaging with groups and individuals who espouse such ideologies. And this could, of course, lead to um, an individual going down a pathway of violence. Now, the second part of your question was about what interventions can can take place. The the idea of PREVENT is that all all of the partners involved in caring for young people, so that um, starts with the parents, obviously, and families, but but extends into um, school environments, teachers, um, possibly health environments. Quite a lot of the referrals seem to involve individuals with mental health problems, for example. So some of these people will be within the the national health system. Um, All of these stakeholders, uh, which is the term used, have a potentially have a responsibility to try to think of ways of helping individuals who may be going down a dangerous path that will be very deleterious to them in their future lives and careers from um, understanding a bit better what's going on and uh, turning away from that pathway. Now, of course, if, if you were to ask what does that mean exactly in terms of actual action, then um, that's a very complex question. It could mean something as, as little and trivial as uh, having a chat with that young person and saying, look, do you realise what's happening here? Do you realise what this is all about? Um, but could, um, with the latest legislation, obviously extend into more um, punitive measures, um, maybe even criminalisation uh, of, of young people, and that's where it obviously gets particularly controversial. Uh, Professor Richards, if I may ask, we, we, we were talking, you were mentioning de-radicalization and, and you mentioned uh, the word, the you know, Islamist. Mm. It's Isn't it those kind of terms that kind of triggers the young mindset um, of these of these people when they go on to... Because when these youngsters go on to these radical websites and these extremist websites, it's exactly those words that they are told that if you hear this they're they 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 are anti you as an individual so they kind of groom the youngsters um by being sensitive to just words um do i mean again this is a personal opinion um and and i would love to hear your perspective on it that we need to change um our we, we need to change our words in how we de-radicalize and instead of telling them completely that your ideology is wrong well you've kind of taken a wrong turn at a certain point where Mm. instead of looking at something in a peaceful manner you've gone towards the extreme manner which actually contradicts your faith so isn't it a good thing to de-radicalize someone by using their faith against them or that narrative absolutely yes so so the first thing is you're absolutely right that the words that we try to use in these contexts are extremely difficult. Sometimes they're toxic. Mm. Um, If if you work in academia, as I do, you'll know that many, many (laughs) hours and ink is spilt um, debating which words we should properly use and the effect of words. You know, sometimes um, the effect is the exact opposite of what you're intending with Mm. the use of these words. So this, I think that wasn't properly understood in the early days of... um, policy in this sort of area and i think i think we have slowly lived, lived and learned 
well, yeah, whether we've learned, I don't know. But <laughs> <we're understanding. laughs> well, one hopes and prays that that learning comes from this. <laughs> well, indeed. <clears throat> and I think there's also a, a difficulty where, where a, um, institutions have to try and deal with these processes that governments and government departments and law enforcement agencies are um, clumsy, clunky institutional organisations and they um, they have to find words that are accepted as the words that describe certain things and then those words get promulgated without anyone necessarily thinking about it too much. They, they form the basis of, of training programmes for new staff, so on and so forth. So um, and, and particularly where these things touch on faith, of course, because, of course, you know, a lot of the concerns about radicalisation at the moment are not not necessarily faith-related. They're more to do with other political ideologies. But where it does touch on faith, then, of course, it becomes extraordinarily dangerous, really, um, and toxic. Now, your question should we not, in those contexts, should we not use um, a better understanding of faith? Absolutely. And... And again, one of the better things that's come out of policy in recent years is um, the use of imams to uh, in prisons and in particularly um, areas where there's a lot of vulnerability. That's another word that tends to be used in the institutional context um, to, to do exactly what you've described, that to say, look, this is the wrong interpretation of faith. You know, the, the faith, as you were saying before I came on, it's um, Islam or or any other religion absolutely does not espouse violence. So if that's the route you're going down, then you've got things slightly wrong. Yep. So there is, there, there is an awareness of the importance of faith leaders in the process of de-radicalisation. De-radicalisation is also a very complicated word, but, but we perhaps won't debate that now. So, so I think some of these ideas are, are coming through, some of this understanding is coming through um, in a way that it wasn't in the early days. Um, and we can only hope and pray that that, that continues, really. And Professor Richards, I would uh, also like to ask you, could it ever be justified that uh, children are used to gain information on possible terrorism activities? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, you and I, and you know, if any of us have children of our own, we recoil in, in horror at such a notion, really. Mm. Um, and traditionally, it's, it's absolutely not appropriate to uh, for children to be used in, in that sort of way. Um, I mean, I think that's implicit in your question is, are, are these the radicalisation processes actually being used partially behind the scenes as intelligence gathering processes? You know, and that was, that's always been one of the difficulties with PREVENT is that is it actually a, a hidden intelligence gathering process rather than a, a straightforward de-radicalisation process? Um, th- there are elements of that in it, of course. You know, if, if something really dangerous was emerged in one of these contexts, then it, it probably would be passed through to certain agencies. But it, it, the straight answer to your question is, is absolutely not. I and many others um, feel that once once this sort of activity and legislation starts to reach down into schools and, and into people who are you know in some cases as young as 13 um this is this is very difficult and uncomfortable and i i don't think that we should be using those things for intelligence purposes wonderful professor richards thank you so much sir for taking time out this morning and coming on to um the breakfast show and and uh, um and sharing 
your your knowledge and expertise on this topic. I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Oh, what a what a amazing, excellent show today. We are coming up to the hour, uh, but I kind of want to conclude um, this 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 topic um, with with the basic definition. We talked about Islam earlier. Yes. Um, Islam is a name given by God Almighty uh, to this religion. In the Quran, it says, chapter five, verse four, uh, or is it? Uh, it is it's, it's an Arabic word which mm. literally means obedience and peace. Yes. Simple. Exactly. Obedience and peace. Islam is derived from the Arabic word, Arabic root, uh, salama, mm. which peace, purity, submission, <coughs> and obedience. How can someone, um, and again, to, mm. to people who have an extreme perspective, yes. how can you not like someone mm. who practices peace, purity, submission, and obedience? That's right. So Islam means the path of those who are obedient to God Almighty and who establish peace with Him and His creatures. Its followers are called Muslims, us. Yes. Islam is not a new religion. It is, in essence, the same message that God Almighty has given to all the prophets before the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And uh, God Almighty says in the Holy Quran, say, we believe in Allah, that which has been revealed to us. And that which was revealed to Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes. And in that which was given to Moses and Jesus and other prophets from their Lord. We make no distinction between any of them. And to him we submit. Let me read that to you again. Say we believe in Allah and that has been revealed to us. And that which was revealed to Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes. And in that which was given to Moses and Jesus and other prophets from their Lord. We make no distinction between any of them <clears throat> and to him we submit this is in the holy quran chapter 3 verse 85 mm. um, and that verse alone yes tells you that look um one of the imams from ghana on the annual convention said yes. you know if i want to be a muslim mm. i have to be a jew i have to be a christian i have to be a hindu Beautiful. i have to belong to all the faiths that mm-hmm. came before the holy prophet yes. in order for me to be a muslim with that i just want to thank um, our team for preparing a wonderful show today. Amazing. So my thank you to Arif Khan, Salman Koker and Malaha Tata. Thank you to our researchers, Hania Sajid, Vaki Khan, Barriro Haroon, um, Khafia Latif. Um, thank you to Brother Nafiz. Thank you to Brother Khalid. Thank you to Brother Shazib. And thank you to all of our wonderful guests who have uh, enlightened uh, our show today. Today and and no, I haven't forgotten you, my tech brother, brother <laughs> Zishan. Without who we wouldn't be on air today. I want to thank all of you for listening to us. Please forgive any shortcomings on our behalf. Please remember us in your prayers. Breakfast show will be back to you tomorrow with two more interesting topics with uh, brother Valid and brother Tokir. Until then, please remember us in your prayers. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.